Welcome everyone, and I hope you're having a spectacular Halloween filled with lots of chills. On this Halloween special episode of Haunted History Chronicles, we're going to be exploring England's most famous of witch trials and its subsequent hauntings. If you haven't already listened to the Halloween Part 1 episode, I suggest starting there as it's going to provide a lot of information which will help deepen your understanding for this upcoming segment. Halloween is such a special time of year, but we often overlook its origins. Centuries ago, October 31st would have been a pre-Christian Celtic festival to honour the dead. Bonfires, or bonefires, would be lit, and sacrifices for the dead would be made. Over time, the Christian faith would turn October the 31st into All Saints' Day. Poorer people would travel to wealthier homes and receive soul cakes in exchange for prayers for relatives of a house who had passed away. This was called souling. Later, this would become children receiving gifts of food, money and ale. In Scotland and Ireland, people would dress up and move from house to house, but instead of offering a prayer, they would offer a song, poem, do a trick, dance for a treat such as fruit, nuts or coins. In honour of this day, let's get comfortable and honour the stories of the dead men and women executed as witches in Pendle and the many more that would follow their fate. was a dark year. The area of Pendle did not know what was ahead for them, and nor would they understand the evil this would allow to spread far and wide like a dark mist, spreading across the land, beyond Pendle, beyond Lancashire, beyond England itself. Acts of barbarity and torture that would follow like falling dominoes with each snap of a human neck. The scars of 1612 would haunt the sleepy hamlets of Pendle for centuries to come. What happened was not the first of its kind in England. Witch trials had been occurring since 1566, shortly after Elizabeth I became Queen. But what happened in Pendle in 1612 would make it England's most notorious. For this was the year of rooting out evil, and people were watching already so closely waiting and ready, spurned on by a king so fearful that neighbour would turn on neighbour. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrificeth unto any god save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him. These were the words of the king, and this is where our story begins. A young beggar girl named Alison Devis, sister to James and Janet, daughter to Elizabeth, and granddaughter to Elizabeth Southerns, or old Demdike as she was known, a woman who was well into her 80s and who had a long history as a wise woman and a healer. The family were amongst the poorest in society, living hand to mouth. 
So it was unusual with what little they had to see them caring for strays and their fondness for cats and dogs. It was also unusual to see someone reach the age that old Demdike had reached. On the 18th of March, 1612, the shadow of the axe would fall as Alison was walking through the woods. She would happen upon a peddler selling his wares and ask him for a pin. His refusal that day angered this young girl so much that as John Law walked away, she would utter words to curse him. Words that would curse herself, her family, neighbours and friends. For John Law would fall to the ground, lame and disfigured. Whisperings of what happened that day would spread amongst this small community until they reached the ears of John Noel, the local justice of the peace, and Alison would be summoned and questioned. Alison felt incredibly guilty over what had happened, and she would openly admit to cursing him, and believed so strongly that she was responsible. Her own words were enough to put her in jail, awaiting trial. Alison that day, though, went further. She spoke of her grandmother and the powers her grandmother had shown over the years. She spoke of a rival, Anne Whittle, known as Old Chattox, and her daughter, Anne Redfern. She would share tales of their curses and of the poppets that Anne Redfern had been seen to make. She spun a clear picture of these two women and who they had injured and killed over many years. John Knoll was deeply alarmed. This was now a much bigger problem. Pendle clearly had a witch issue. So he continued his investigations, and old Granny Demdike and Chattox, both in their eighties and infirm, would easily talk about some of the things that they had believed their neighbours and rivals to have done over the years. They would admit to having marks on their bodies, to having a familiar, they would even admit to having powers and having sold their souls to the devil. Anne would profess her innocence. The accusations made against her, though, were enough. All four women would be incarcerated, awaiting trial. This sad story could have ended here, but there was more to come. James and his mother, Elizabeth, summoned a meeting of friends and neighbours not long afterwards at their home, Malkin Towers. Gathering in such large numbers was a grave mistake. Surely they were meeting to cause trouble, to curse the jailers holding their family. Surely they were up to no good. This was surely a coven of witches coming together for evil purposes, or so was believed. John Knoll ordered the arrest of anyone who had attended, round them up and bring them in too. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time, fear, superstition would bring these people before John Knoll. Young Janet Devis, just nine years old, was there that night too. She had witnessed this gathering organised by her mother and brother. She knew who was in attendance and she would give the names of those that were there, giving evidence against them. Evidence of the incantations made by her brother, 
incantations that were in fact strange mixtures of prayers and requests. She would speak of the family's involvement in the dark arts, and she would detail how everyone there that night were also guilty. Eight further people would be added to the jail cells, twelve men and women waiting trial. Trials could only occur when judges visited the towns that formed part of their judicial circuit. In the case of Lancaster, that was just twice a year. So the accused witches languished together in their dungeon for five months before they had their day in court. Finally, the trial of the Pendle witches began on August 18th, 1612. Old Demdike would not live to see it. Such were the conditions of the prison cells. The remaining 11 would be brought to, into the court. Janet was the star witness. When her mother screamed at her to stop, pleaded with her daughter, Janet would calmly ask her mother to be removed. Some of the accused would say nothing, probably fearful of giving away that they were not a witch, but in fact a Catholic, and worried that they may incriminate others who would suffer their same fate. Some would plead their innocence, and some would plead their guilt. People like Alison Devis would fall to her knees crying when she saw the man she had thought to have hurt brought before her. She would take full responsibility. The trial would soon be over. Ten would be found guilty. Only one would be acquitted. These ten were taken to Gallows Hill. Here they would be hung. Many think of hanging as a quick death. Back then it really wasn't always the case, and there are many accounts of people having to step forward to pull on the feet and ankles to help speed the process and end their suffering. Janet probably witnessed the hangings of her brother, sister and mother. She would be the only Devis to survive. Today you can visit Pendle and follow the ten way markers, each to represent one of those sentenced to death by hanging. In one family's case, three generations condemned. Follow the stones, each marked with lines from a poem written by Carol Ann Duffy, each line the story of these men and women unfolding, leading to their end. The echoes of their story mark this area. Pendle Hill is regarded as one of the most haunted areas in England, with many reporting the spirits of the accused men and women haunting the local areas and buildings. If you are brave enough, why not visit and take these journeys for yourself? Maybe you will come across old Granny Demdike in Chattox and have your own tales to tell. a tragedy. A tragedy brought about by, by many different circumstances, some of which we explored in the previous podcast to this one. We can see how their lack of medical understanding, for example, really did play a part. They made a connection with an event that they couldn't explain and a sickness that they couldn't explain to that of a witch. Today, we would see a stroke. 
can see how their fear of the unknown and illness really helped to drive that forward. We can see how the ill blood between these two families played a part. As the only local wise women, they were direct competitors of each other. It meant that they just didn't like each other and for that reason had no problem putting forward the names of the other family. But it also might explain why some of them also would confess. Maybe this was to keep their position as a wise woman, to keep their powers known in order to not lose that trade. We can also see how the ambitions of someone like John Knoll also played a part. Pendle came shortly after James I published Demonology and John Knoll was an incredibly ambitious man. His work at Pendle would really see him gaining favour with the king and advancing his position. Such a good job he did in rooting out the witches at this particular moment in time. Pendle really was a unique example. Back then, if we think about the sheer number of witches accused in standing trial, the figure alone was something unusual. But then when we examine those accused, six of the members alone were from two neighbouring families. This was quite unusual. It meant that it was a trial of real interest and intrigue to find out what happened. And there was one other significant factor that would mean that this trial really was quite notorious. And that was Janet herself. This trial was groundbreaking. It was the first trial where a child was used to give evidence. Never before had this been allowed. For these reasons, every part of the trial were recorded meticulously. Thomas Potts was present throughout and he meticulously recorded every detail, all the evidence given and the people involved. His manuscripts later would be published in print and distributed all across the United Kingdom. These manuscripts would be created and used in other books, books used by magistrates. What's really quite horrifying is when we consider the events of Salem 80 years later in Massachusetts in America, those same publications were in evidence throughout every single trial and were used to shape the trials of what happened at Salem, where just like at Pendle, the evidence of children was very much part of the trial itself. You have to wonder if Pendle had never happened, would Salem have happened in quite the same way? Given how much the court records from Pendle were used to shape the trials of Salem, it's an intriguing question to examine. You might be curious to think what happened to young Janet after the end of the trial. 
Well, sadly, some years later, she too would find herself accused of witchcraft, alongside many other names from the local community. She too would be found guilty in spookily similar circumstances to the trial of her mother and her brother and her sister. And that was the testimony of a young child. But by then things had moved forward and upon her guilty, upon her guilty verdict, the magistrate actually refused to carry out the sentence and instead referred it to the king and his privy council to review, which is exactly what they did. And when they spoke to the young boy again, he would recant his statement. He would recall how he used what had happened in Pendle all those years ago to help shape a story to get him out of trouble because he really didn't want to be told off for coming home late and his clothes all in a disarray and muddy. So he'd come up with a story of witchcraft. He'd been held up because he'd been fighting witches and some mysterious figure. Janet and the others would have had, had their sentence overturned. But sadly, we know that Janet remained in prison and in all likelihood died in there. Even though she'd been found not guilty, many of those accused would have found it difficult to pay the charges accrued by them in their time in prison. If you've never been to Pendle, or even heard of this trial, you might want to check out the information in the description box that comes along with this podcast episode. In there, you should find links to other key documents and websites that will give you further information. In there, you'll also find links to the social media platforms that I have, or the website that will also take you to the social media platforms. On each of those, post this podcast going live, I'm going to be putting up some photographs of Pendle and the different key locations that I'm going to mention next. I'll try and include snippets of information just to help you along in being able to picture some of this and see how they fit in with the story that we heard earlier. Next, we're going to explore the many different paranormal sightings and events that have been reported over the years. Given how tragic and horrific the events of what happened are, we really can understand the many different sightings that have been had and how atmospheric a place it really is. And again, this is where, if you can, check out those pictures, might help you to really kind of picture some of the places that I'm about to talk through. Pendle has many locations. It's spread out over a wide variety of areas. We've got some of the homes of the witches themselves. We have Lancaster Castle, which was used as the jail and the court itself was held there. We have the church. We have the gallows themselves. All of these are places where activity have been reported. And some of these are what we're going to explore next.
So let's start looking at some of these key locations, starting with Lancaster Castle itself. Lancaster Castle had been used as a prison and as a courthouse for centuries. 800 executions took place here, so it has plenty of history and activity separate from the Pendle event. But lots of people report feeling suddenly overwhelmed with anger in key locations associated with the Pendle Witches and where it is known that they had been. Given what happened to them, it's no surprise that their resentment comes through heavily. One area in particular, the cell within the well tower where Granny Demdike is, is known to have died, is one such key location. It's here her spirit is believed to firmly frequent, and many staff and visitors feel her presence there. For those that aren't aware of the stone tape theory, then let me briefly explain. The thinking is that when you suddenly die, then your energy is transferred to the stonework and the surrounding building. Just like a tape that can be replayed over and over, then the moments and events of that person's life also replay in the area, trapped in the fabric of the building. Lancaster Castle has other reported events. There are many incidents of staff and visitors feeling pushed, guards at night capturing things on tape or feeling things. One guard reportedly even had their hat knocked from their head. This is definitely a place of interest if you ever get the chance to visit and explore. Another key location is the local church named St Mary's which can be found in the village of Newchurch. It's here that is believed to be the location where Anne Redfern would come to desecrate the graves, to steal human teeth from the corpses to use in the making of her poppets. Clay poppets were simply dolls. When her home was searched as part of the investigation by Roger Knoll, some of these poppets were uncovered, with human teeth having been used in them. If you visit the church, you're going to find a couple of things. Firstly, engraved on the side of the church wall itself, is something called the Eye of God. This was a symbol used to ward off evil spirits, witches. The fact that it's there points to two things, I believe. Firstly, it reinforces just how superstitious and fearful this community truly was that they felt the need to put this up there in the first place in order to keep themselves safe. Maybe it also suggests something else, that the men and women executed as witches have spent the last few centuries trying to gain entry and peace in the grounds of the church with their buried loved ones, instead of wandering and lost. Witches, remember, would have been denied burial in consecrated ground but instead were condemned to an unmarked grave outside of that of the church. The Pendle witches would have been buried somewhere near their execution site on Gallows Hill. Exploring the church, you're also going to notice something else. Gravestones marked with names familiar to the trial. Alice Nutter, one of the women executed, her family are buried here. It's around these gravestones that again many have felt the presence of the spirits of the Pendle witches, 
feeling their hopelessness and sadness. Apparitions have been reported here. One such reported figure is of a woman wandering around the gravestones. You'll be able to find this posted along with other images on the Haunted History Chronicles social media sites. Maybe this image is of one of the witches trying to return home. What permeates through all the different key locations is the echo of this event and the marks it has left behind. A sense of real sadness and anger and how that lingers. This is something that if you take the trail or visit the site that would have been Gallows Hill is something that, like many of the other locations, visitors really strongly feel. Walking the route, you will also understand how remote and wild this area would have been, and even more so in 1612. Given the simple and humble homes that these families back then would have had, we can understand how, over time, they would have been buried and hidden by the surrounding landscapes. It's for this reason that over the last few centuries, locating these hidden homesteads has become a real source of interest. To uncover and unearth the homes of some of the named participants in the trial. In recent years, archaeologists believe they have uncovered what remains of Malkin Tower, the home of the Demdikes. Now this was a key location in the trial itself. Six were accused of witchcraft and five executed simply for attending a meeting at this home. This location is a great discovery. It reveals things about the family who lived there. It's also just a fascinating site to explore because of its place in history. Remember, here is where plans were believed to have been discussed to overthrow the jailers at Lancaster Castle and, like the famous gunpowder plot, to blow it up. It's here that, supposedly, these simple, humble people were planning to do something as big and as significant as that of the gunpowder people itself. It's such a strange connection, but it was one that was made. Lancaster had been an area closely watched since Queen Elizabeth's reign. This was a region known to hold the most papists, those who refused to attend Protestant services. It was an area associated with the gunpowder plot too. It was this region that some involved would flee to in order to hide, post the gunpowder plot failing. All of this makes this truly remarkable place to come and explore, because all of that history is part of that building. During the excavation process itself, a mummified cat was found. Now, mummified cats were something used as protection against witches. Witches marks have been found in many other sites across many different locations. They were simply protection symbols. The most common one is something called the daisy wheel. It was often carved into mantelpieces. Other items would also be used as protective symbols such as witch bottles, horse skulls and shoes. This site is a really rare find. 
The atmosphere and wildness here really helps provide you with a sense of what life would have been like for them, living in this part of the world back then. The discovery of that mummified cat is important. It suggests something about how the family lived back then. It also is one of the strongest pieces of evidence that ties this location to that of the Dundike family. Now, if we examine the court records written by Thomas Potts, we know from the evidence given by J James Devis at the trial and by the previous investigations carried out by Roger Knoll that he would actually take the magistrates to Malkin Towers and uncover four human teeth that were used as part of different things that he detailed. So this site really is intriguing just to understand what was going on there and how they were living and, and existing. If you ever get the chance to visit, it's a good one to, to go to and not to pass up. Another location associated with the witches of Pendle is Tyndale Farm and its associated land. It was owned by the Nutter family and is actually still owned by them today, although they refused to live there. Alice Nutter was one of the women accused of witchcraft, found guilty and executed. This place over time has become very much run down and in disrepair. Over the years though, many have experienced seeing apparitions here. Apparitions of a young woman, hearing footsteps, feeling overwhelmed, hearing screams. It's here that people have reported the feeling of something strangling them, just like the Pendle Witches. Something else interesting happens here. This building itself has no elect electricity, no appliances running, and yet Outside by the front door is an electrical box. This box is still consuming energy and turning over, despite nothing working in the home. Pendle is beautiful and haunting, and it has a story that deserves to be heard and known. It's a story that deserves to be known because of the people that were accused and the tragedy that surrounds the events of 1612, the scars that it would leave behind on this area, but also because of how groundbreaking a moment in judicial law it was to allow the testimony of a young girl, a young child, the significance that this would have over all future witch trials, including Salem itself. I really hope you've enjoyed this podcast and if you'd like to share some of your stories, if you visited other places where witches are known to have frequented and other trials, other paranormal activity from England, from around the world, I'd really like to hear from you. If you venture to Pendle, if you've got photographs or stories to share, again, please get in touch. The different links to the social platforms are the place to do that. Send in photographs, post your comments. I'd love to hear them and I'm sure 
anyone else listening would too. There's also something else that you can do. In the description box attached to the podcast, you should find a link that will allow you to send in direct comments, questions, stories. If that's something you'd like to do, again, I'd love to hear them and maybe I can use them in future podcasts. For now though, I'm going to say thank you for listening and I hope to see you next time. Bye everyone. If you like this podcast, you can help in different ways. Come and join us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Help spread the word with friends and family. Share the news of the podcast with other people that may be interested. Down in the description box below is also an access to Patreon where you can continue to support the podcast further and in the process gain access to some extra goodies. If you ever get the time to write a review, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much everyone.